In just a minute, I'll show you the only really haunted house in the world. Since it was built a century ago, seven people, including my brother, have been murdered in it. Since then, I've owned the house. I've only spent one night there, and when they found me in the morning, I, I was almost dead. So, Lexi, you had kind of an ooky spooky experience the last couple weeks. You got lost in the woods. Oh, I guess that's sort of ooky spooky. I didn't really think about it that way. It seemed ooky spooky to me. I was taking a hike in a park. And at first, the ground was like paved and it was pretty normal. But then I came across some ground that wasn't paved. And the trail was supposed to be a loop. Supposed to be like less than three miles. And it was supposed to be a loop. And I was like, well, maybe this is just this part of it and it'll be paved once I loop back around. But then did not loop back around and I ended up somewhere else. And I saw a sign for a trail that was called the White Creek Trail. I'm not geolocating myself because this was nowhere near me. And the place where I parked was called the Jack White Creek Trailhead. So I thought that must be it. And so I just started walking that direction and I got to the White Creek Trail head and it was not the correct place because apparently there's a white creek trail and a jack white creek trail so i asked this couple that were walking their dog and at this point it was like 5 30 and the sun sets around 6 45 7 o'clock right now here and so i was like hey how do i get back to this place and the guy was like you should go to the road and walk because like at this time of night you don't want to be walking on the trails and he didn't say this but apparently after i had this conversation with other people it's because there's mountain lions so that's great he should probably warn me of that because at this point i was like maybe i should just go back through the trail like back trace my steps right not that i wouldn't be able to do that because i was so fucking lost and then i'm walking i'm walking i'm walking and i see this this golden retriever like an elderly golden retriever i'm like oh a person let me make sure i'm going the right way because my phone was telling me to go the opposite direction whole fiasco so I see a person on an ATV. It's an older man. He is walking his dog by riding on an ATV, which is pretty iconic if you're like an old guy and you can't keep up with your dog. And um, I said, hey, is this, this road this way? The road I was trying to get to. And he was like, yeah, but it's going to be like, you know, like an hour to get there if you walk. And I was like, huh? And he's like, hop in. And so I did it because I was like, my options are die alone in the woods or get murdered by mountain man. Turns out he was lovely and awesome. I owe him my life. Uh, he drove me to the road. I said, okay, I'll get out here. It was going to be like another an hour and a half to walk up the road to where I parked. And he was like, oh, you're like that. Show me the map. I showed him where my car was. Cause I always mark where my car is parked. Smart, smart me. Just kidding. It's automatic. I'm not smart. So he was like, okay, that's like my house is on the way there. So I'll just take you to my house and then drop you off. I was like, fabulous. So I get to his house and his wife is there chopping wood, very mountain people. And like, she's not even phased that I'm there because apparently this happens all the time. Like I am not the only East Coast dimwit who this has happened to. And then she's like, you know, like we're going to dinner. It's on the way, like get in the car. And so they just took me to my car and little Winston, the dog looked at me the whole time. and was like so worried about me. And that's really wonderful. I'd like to credit Winston with saving my life. So yeah, the Ookie's book experiences, I almost got murdered. But you know, it would have been more exciting to be like murdered than to just die in the woods. Because if you just die in the woods and they don't find your remains, it's like she's missing and then there's like no closure. But if you get murdered, like there's some closure to that. Like your parents know what happened to you, you know? Yeah. I got boba after I got almost died. That was kind of nice. <laughs> 
I still haven't recovered. Like I've just, I'm also like burning out at work, but like just emotionally I haven't recovered. I'm a fucking wreck. <laughs> this modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Hey Lexi, what would you haunt if you were a ghost? I would haunt the bougiest place I could find, like maybe like the White House or something, something really bougie, just so that I could enjoy the luxury accommodations. It would have nothing to do about with my actual death. <laughs> and Haley, are you haunted? Yes. But not me, myself, and I. I think my parents' house is definitely haunted. And I'm Alana, and I think it would be pretty rad to be a ghost. Oh my god, I just saw Hades Town, you guys. Like a month ago, we talked about another Broadway show, but I just saw Hades Town this afternoon, and it was. Is there is there a Broadway incredible. show about ghosts? Yeah, yeah all juice. Of them. Like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a hot take that I don't appreciate Beetlejuice being on Broadway. I was going to say Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera is good. I did see it's that It's not technically Broadway. about a ghost. He's not technically no, a ghost. It literally not, not is called Phantom of the Opera. Yes, but, but Phantom. It's because and people I kind think of, he's a ghost. Not, he's yes. not actually a ghost. And Phantom doesn't necessarily mean ghost in all cases. That's more of a modern interpretation. Phantom is just something that you're supposed to like be scared of and not see. Come, dear Jane, now let's get together. Don't you love that night from the weather? So let's go to that beautiful sea. When I picked this ghost to be my ghost, it was like a long ass time ago. I was still living at home. I had no intentions of moving away from home. And so I was more emotionally prepared to tell this story. And so I'm just going to warn you guys now, I'm a fucking wreck because this is a very personal story for me. And I'm very homesick. I have like a base level of homesickness at all times. And this like pushed over the edge. So the combination of this, almost dying, wasting a bunch of money and being incapable of creating crafts has me on edge. Well, I also missed a doctor's appointment. They charge me $175. So dear listeners, I'm like a fucking wreck, okay? So, and I also didn't write down the doctor's appointment I have next week. So I'll probably miss that too. I should just tell my story. The Flanders Hotel was built in Ocean City, New Jersey in 1923, and the hotel was named after Flanders Fields. Does everyone know what the Flanders Fields is? It is in Belgium, and it's the famous site where poppies grow over the graves of American soldiers who died uh, there during World War I. So if you've ever heard like Flanders Fields, it's referenced in a lot of media, that's what it is. So they named a hotel after it. Interesting to me because like hotel, I try and think like positive, vacay. They were like memorial to the dead. Okay. The hotel was built in a Spanish mission revival style, which was very, very popular. And it was a really luxurious resort at the time. 
competing with America's other top hotels. And just to geolocate this for people who aren't from the Northeast, Ocean City is a popular destination for people from like New York and Philadelphia. It is very close to Philadelphia. It's only like an hour from Philadelphia. And so it became like a place where a lot of Philadelphians or people in that general geographic region were going. And um, it's very close to Atlantic City, like 40 minutes. But Atlantic City was really already at this point kind of known for like debauchery and drinking and gambling and like not a place you take your family. And so Ocean City's whole shtick was to become a family resort and to kind of juxtapose that. If you've ever heard the Billy Joel song, Allentown, famously about my hometown, but named about the place where I was born because it sounded better. There's a line about families spending their weekends on the Jersey Shore, and that certainly most definitely references Ocean City, as that was kind of the place to be. Situated on the historic Ocean City boardwalk, the hotel thrived in its early years. In 1927, a fire destroyed most waterfront properties in the city, but the Flanders survived, which was a big deal because I'm sure you guys, as people of the history, know that it was a big deal to build things that were fireproof, kind of like how the Titanic was sink-proof. And a lot of buildings that were fireproof burned down. But the Flanders was the only thing left standing after a major fire. So everyone was like, oh my God, it's fireproof. So it like grew in popularity after this disaster. Following the fire, the boardwalk was built closer to the water, I guess, because they thought throw some ocean on that and it won't burn down again. I don't know. And room was opened up for the Flanders to actually expand. So they built huge saltwater bathing pools. These were added to the property to kind of make it more like a resort. They were filled with ocean water, but they were like pools. You know, it's very funky, beachy, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Even during the Great Depression, the Flanders continued to thrive as a resort, which is also a big deal because a lot of these major resorts that kind of came about in the post-World War I era did not survive the Great Depression. And for most of the 20th century, the hotel was the prize of Ocean City, and it was considered the place to be. In 1996, the ownership of the hotel changed hands, and the building was remodeled into condo units, which acted as timeshares or second homes for a lot of people. As with many places, as old as the Flanders, the hotel has a resident ghost. That's why we're talking about this place today. So that was a lot of background to tell you that this is where my ghost lives. This ghost is well known to the staff and guests, and she's like on a first name basis with everybody. Her name is Emily, but she's also called the lady in white sometimes, but mostly is referred to as Emily. Emily is described as being in her early to mid twenties, having long auburn hair, like a red or brown color. People have reported slightly differently, but it's always below her shoulders and she wears no shoes. Don't know if it means she lost her shoes. Don't know if it means she doesn't have feet because she's a ghost or it's because she's on the beach and she's straight chilling. I mean, if I was a ghost on the beach, I'd probably haunt barefoot. My, my vote is for it's a beach town. She's not wearing shoes because she's at the beach. Exactly, exactly. So she wanders the halls of the hotel and is particularly a regular on the second floor in the grand dining room, which is like the event space of the hotel in the hall of mirrors, which is also on the second floor. And it's all these mirrors that reflect into each other to kind of make the space look bigger, popular for weddings and shit. And on the fourth floor near where guests stay. And that's where her most activity seems to be recorded is in that fourth floor where these um, timeshare condos are. And guests and staff report that doors open or sw swing open and shut on their own. 
light bulbs malfunction or even unscrew themselves and have to be screwed back in um, and they flicker as well. The edge of a white gown is sometimes visible rounding a corner when you walk into a space, like as if she's running out of view and you can see the train of her white dress. And even people have heard singing or laughing of like a young woman's voice, a young girl's voice coming from empty hallways that otherwise shouldn't have any noise in them. Additionally, instances report seeing her in the basement of the hotel, which is called the catacombs, was originally built below sea level for guests in bathing suits to walk through because only former attire was allowed in the main halls of the building. This was the 20s and people were like, you got to be covered head to toe and looking spiffy to go anywhere in public. So when you put on your long bathing suit, you had to walk downstairs. That was not appropriate clothes for the hotel. And because the catacombs after this point, once you could be in a bathing suit in public in the mid-century, were like a good hiding spot, New York City and Philadelphia mobsters had little speakeasy parties down there. And there were two bars down there in the 60s and 70s. This has led some people to say that murder victims may have been transported through this space. And some of these victims are considered to be some of the apparitions that are visible in the hotel, but Emily is not one of them. She's not known to be a murder victim, and they're actually considered to be separate ghosts. Emily's just the most prominent and most engaged with visitors. These other ghosts kind of stick to the catacombs. Kind of reminds me if you guys have ever seen the British TV show Ghosts. If you haven't, go watch it. I recommend it. They made an American version. Yes. Is that the one that just came out on HBO? Yes. It's a classic office situation. They stole yes. something good from the British. Watch the British version. And it's hilarious because there's these plague victim ghosts that won't live the ba- leave the basement, but the other ghosts like hang out upstairs and they're like, don't you want to come hang out with us plague victims? And they're like, no, we like the basement. It's our home. And that kind of is what I think of with the murder victims in the catacombs. Like Emily's like, you guys want to come upstairs? There's some really dope stuff up here. And they're like, no, we like the catacombs. It's our home. So yeah, go watch that show. So you get that reference. Emily has also appeared in wedding photos taken at the hotel, particularly in the 90s and, and, and earlier when film cameras were used. Digital photos don't tend to show her as often. I don't we'll know, talk but about- with the photos, like with the attire, the wedding fashion at the time, that somehow just makes it spicier. Like, I feel like the weddings now, like, won't, I want the puffy sleeves and the big yeah. veil and the ghost. Maybe that's what Emily was into. Or yes. maybe it's the fact that artifacts show up on film and like, do not yeah, show up on digital cameras. <laughs> like, correct. But I think it's for the aesthetics of it. I hope it's that she prefers 90s style weddings. Maybe we should throw a 90s style wedding there. Though much about her identity is unconfirmed. We're not sure exactly who she was in life. Locals say that she was an employee at the hotel and the girlfriend or fiance of a World War I soldier who died in Europe, which is fitting because she would haunt the Flanders because then she doesn't have to leave America, but she's still like looking for her mans. There are also some other stories that are, you know, obviously unconfirmed that things like she's looking for her wedding ring. So that's kind of why you see her in certain spaces. She dropped her um, engagement ring on the ground and like her fiance died. So she's a whole hot mess about finding it. Some people say that since she was working there, like in the early days of the hotel, or even she was working in the space that was before it was the hotel, if that makes sense, since the hotel hadn't opened, like she was working on the boardwalk in Ocean City, but the Flanders was not yet the Flanders for context. (laughs) But they think that maybe the World War I soldier was like vacationing in Ocean City and that's how they met. There's lots of stories about what might have been going on there. But basically she worked in Ocean City and had this fiance or boyfriend. 
many guests have been visiting the hotel for generations some as many as like four or five generations attend this hotel as their place that they take their vacation the story of emily is commonly told by older family members to children when they visit but it's not like a oh my god spooky like are you gonna sleep tonight like most people actually like admire and love emily and think of her as like a part of the flanders family because she's like a very positive and friendly ghost like yes she like fucks up the lights and shuts the doors but she's never known to hurt anyone or scare anyone intentionally and like even when people see her skirt kind of leaving the area it's like she's leaving so she doesn't freak out the kids Um, she's just a little cold she's closing doors she's a little cold yeah she's turning off the lights global warming she's just looking out for us yeah she's just a good ghost like she's like a casper the friendly ghost situation so lots of people lots of families who frequent the the hotel say they've seen her and that She's just a part of their lives, which is kind of beautiful and kind of why I picked her because <laughs> surprise, surprise, I don't really like scary stuff, but I have slept in this hotel many times. I am one of those people who is a fourth generation attendee of the Flanders and I have no issue with her. I love her and she's great. And my cousin and I sometimes go and speak to her when we're there. We like look up and we're like, hey, Emily, yo, we come in peace, Emily. So it's really beautiful, actually. Modern staff, guests, and residents of the Flanders, they completely embrace her as a member of the community. There's even a painting of her that was commissioned by the hotel that's on the second floor in one of Emily's favorite spots. It's like over a fireplace in this kind of like hall area that leads into the dining hall. And in the early 2000s, the Flanders decided to renovate and rebrand the restaurant, which was a very big deal because it had not been like rebranded since the place opened. But today it is known as Emily's Ocean Room, or just Emily's for short. And Emily's serves breakfast and lunch all year and offers dinners in the busy season. They even do like a Mother's Day tea or a Father's Day brunch. And it can be booked for private dinners and functions and is the most popular spot for rehearsal dinners when weddings are held at the Flanders. And so I just like to like imagine like she's like, she's still sad about her boo, but she's like watching all these weddings and like, you know, it warms her heart somehow to see all these happy people. And that's why she's like in wedding photos and why she keeps encouraging people to come to rehearsal dinners at her restaurant. It's just the cutest, most wholesome ghost story. Emily, the friendly ghost. And uh, it's just important to me because it's a story I heard my whole life and I was never afraid of her. I always wanted to see her. I personally have not encountered her, but my cousin claims that she has. Guess what? We're on Patreon. Tiers start at just $1 a month. And we have three of them. Become a brilliant backer for $1. Find out early about new merch and ticketed events and get access to our monthly newsletter. Support our show by becoming a confident contributor for $4 a month. In addition to the benefits from the previous tier, you get access to our Discord community and one bonus episode every Sunday. Or lastly, prove that you love us the most by becoming a sensational super fan for $7. In addition to the benefits from the previous tiers, get access to a monthly interactive live stream with one of us and get the power to decide future Lady History content by voting. Join our community and help us keep the show running at patreon.com slash ladyhistorypod. Woohoo, we did it. House where horror will be your host. The Haunted Palace. You 
who find a kind of macabre joyousness in the horrifying will enjoy yourselves as in ecstasy in The Haunted Palace. Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. The words you scream across a DC bar during happy hour or a nice brunch. What Henry V screamed when his daughter did something in rebellion of her crap hat of a father. Or lastly, what you say to conjure a spirit. And yes, the last one is really what I'm going to dive into. So the legend of Bloody Mary is a lot. There's a lot of folklore on this. All those have some pretty much meaning as she was once alive, now she's not. And she can appear to those who are living. And I didn't know this fact. I think I did. But like, I didn't think it was like one of those historical facts, but she can reveal the future. And some people say that like when she will appear in a mirror, that's where she'll reveal the future. I thought that was like a pop culture thing, but it's kind of in the folklore of it. The way she appears in the mirror is that you're saying her name over and over again. So in pop culture, you see the like magic three times. Please watch Ghost Whisper. I used to watch it all the time. And that's why I was like, oh, Bloody Mary is like a real thing. This is not just like Jennifer Love Hewitt talking to different dead people. But spoilers, in the show Bloody Mary, they, everyone thought it was like the real Bloody Mary. And they did like the history of Bloody Mary in the guise of like this town that's really haunted. But it was actually just a teenage girl who was doing the Bloody Mary that you do it, you spin around in a circle three times saying Bloody Mary. For this folklore part, you could hear three bells going off every time you said her name. And then she would appear behind you in the mirror or in front of you in the mirror. And it's supposed to be ooky spooky. And again, um, we get a bunch of different appearances by Mary, a bunch of different like ways you can conjure, just like different stories in general. That's just not in the like pop culture, but also in the historical. So now for some history and the Henry VIII, because that needy man just can't remove himself from this pod. And the year is like 1516, early 1500s. Mary was born to parents Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon. After surviving infancy and growing up to be like this beloved princess, the tables turned when her father divorced her mother. Remember the Catholic church was saying this was like an oh no no. And for Mary, this was also just like a huge insult to not only her mother, but also to her. And with this ugly divorce, she got the title of princess removed and just slapped on the title of like lady. So she was not happy about that. She was like, I am a princess. I should be once a princess, always a princess. And not even to bring sexism into this, but remember, she's not a princess anymore. Then she cannot be queen. And this all pissed her off. So her mood did change from the I'm really pissed off to slightly PO'd. After Anne's execution and Henry's marriage to Jane Seymour. But that didn't last long when her younger half-brother was claiming the throne. This is another part of history can get it wrong because this was so long ago. And like written record is not great for the females. You know what? She was, she would probably be rightfully pissed off. However... With fighting for the throne, she got it after five years. And this is, again, more question marks of folklore versus like history and just like everything else. And part of her reign 
And I'm not going to go into this. So read the like Smithsonian magazine that's in the show notes, because there's a lot to unpack. But what to unpack is that from a quote from the Smithsonian mag is she ordered 280 Protestants burned at the stake as heretics, a fact that would later cement her reputation as Bloody Mary. So that's kind of it for the folklore of like Mary's part. And just like a quick story for you. I really like Bloody Mary, not just, I don't like the drink, but I just like the different variations of folklore. And I'm gonna probably put a whole bunch in the YouTube of that I can find because it's really interesting because it's kind of like the story that many different cultures or many different time periods have picked up and done like some adaptation because there is even ones where I was like I can't tell if this is Bloody Mary or not because you're not calling it Bloody Mary but when you do like a nice Google scholar search she also comes up and there's a lot of academic writing on Bloody Mary which makes me really happy. A fun fact if you are someone who's now post-listening to this pod episode and you say, hey, I want to try calling Bloody Mary, do it in a group. Apparently, if you do it with more people, preferably with a man who is about to die, and that was like very specific, that increases your chances of seeing her. So all those like pop culture, all those like- I have a question. Yeah. How do you know if he's about to die? What if you just do it with a man? He doesn't know when he's about to die. That's the part where I'm like, hmm, but like do with what you will. Does but he have to be like, like almost dying of natural causes? What happens look, if I'm like just I planning on murdering him? I'm just the messenger here. In the notes I was reading, that was like the one thing that came up was like, maybe do it with a man that's about to die. But I get the group because I used to do the uh, Bloody Mary, but you would go into a bathroom and the lights would be off and you do it by yourself. And a lot of the pop culture when Mary does not show up or they're like messing with a kid, it's always a person alone. So maybe there's some truth to having like the collective group, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, and like see if she pops up. I don't know. I thought it was funny. Like Lexi, I actually kind of have a personal connection with this lady ghost, but we'll get to that. Adelina Patty was born on February 19th, 1843, although some sources say February 10th, but either way, an Aquarius, just like me, in Madrid, Spain, to Italian opera singer parents. So she was Italian by blood, but Spanish by birth. I don't know if I'm using either of those phrases correctly, but sometimes she's referred to as Spanish because she was born there. And sometimes she's referred to as Italian because her parents are Italian. And just like her parents, she was an opera singer. Normally I don't bring up the lady's career so early, but Adelina was a child prodigy and was singing professionally as early as seven years old. She actually grew up in the Bronx. I have a note in my notes to say pause for Haley to be excited about the Bronx. No, it didn't come to me today. I'm sorry. Okay. 
so she actually grew up in the Bronx and toured for her early life throughout North and South America. Uh, after making her London debut at Covent Garden in 1861, she shifted to touring around Europe, which was really the heart of the 19th century opera scene. She was extremely talented and she knew it. The composer Verdi once called her the best soprano he'd ever heard. And she was kind of the original prima donna because she had, she would charge venues outlandish booking fees and be very demanding of the staff. But at the same time, she would host charity concerts that would raise hundreds of whatever currency usually pounds. Because at this point, she was living at Craggy Nose Castle in Swansea, Wales. I definitely didn't pronounce that right because I don't speak Welsh. Which she purchased in 1878 for 3,500 pounds, which is equivalent to over 400,000 pounds today. Then she also spent 100,000 pounds, which is 12 million pounds today, renovating the entire space, including building a small opera theater where she could perform for her guests. Toward the end of her career, this fancy new technology was gaining popularity that allowed her to record her singing voice. Uh, and a lot of that is still around. In fact, listeners, you heard some at the start of this story and more videos will be on our YouTube playlist. She officially ended her singing career with a performance at the Royal Albert Hall in London in December of 1906, although she would return to that venue for an actual final performance in October 1914 for World War I benefit. She retired to Craggy Nose and died there September 27th, 1919. Castle is a hotel now, and the ghost of Adelina haunts one of the rooms that they don't rent out, the one she died in. She moves a Bible back and forth across the room. When Adelina died, she left the castle to become a children's tuberculosis ward. So that part of the hotel is also extremely haunted. And Craggy Nose is where Adelina and I are connected. As I said, it's a hotel now, and I actually stayed there in 2019. I did not personally see any ghosts. I was hoping I would see a ghost, but I didn't. And there's a picture of me behind the stage of her theater that will be on our Instagram. She's kind of been like lost to history unless you're a huge opera nerd and just like not that many people are anymore. Yeah, it's kind of Love a hard to thing to get into. Opera. Mm-hmm. But like, I appreciate it if I'd love to get dressed up one day and go to the Kennedy Center to see an opera, but I understand the with not the being like, able to like. With the binoculars on a stick, you know? I mean, I have glasses, so I'm not going to be, I, I need you to don't use, use them. You just have them. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram at girlbump.productions. Our extra ooky spooky theme music is by me, Garage Band, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we won't be here because we're going to be on vacation until December. See you in a month, kiddos.